Hey everybody, this is Gene Troyer. I'm the lead pastor of Restore Church. And what a pleasure it is to welcome you to our podcast. It's my hope that you will be marked by love and encouraged in your faith and inspired to become all God has created you to be. Now I invite you to lean in and enjoy the podcast. the second week of Everyday Theology, we, um, we're talking about a few things that are important for our spiritual, our faith life, our Christian life. It's important to know how then should we live in this world that we've been dropped into. Doesn't it feel like that sometimes? You've just been like dropped in. And you look around and you wonder, what in the world am I doing here? Well, how am I going to live in such a way that I will be helpful to the culture around me, to society around me? What is my role? This is why we're having this conversation around everyday theology. Uh, this should be like a, just a, a reminder of our, our shoe leather faith. I, that's what I like to call it. This, this idea that we're walking around and as we walk around, every step we take, we are, we are living out the faith that we've been given. It should affect how we live every day, every hour, every minute of our lives. Uh, in today's culture, um, and especially the tensions around a whole variety of things that humanity has decided we should feel tension about, is this idea that uh, shallow thinking about our faith, just saying the Bible says it, I believe it, that settles it, it that, that kind of thinking, that line of thinking, really is not very effective. It does not fly in today's culture. In fact, I think, I think that that kind of thinking, especially among those of us that would say that we follow Jesus, those of us that would say we're Christian, that kind of thinking um, gives us some level of, of comfort. Like, and that comfort brings about spiritual laziness just because like yep I've done all that and that's enough like I I'm good and so we just slip into a cocoon of Christian comfort that we like to just lay back in and rest and let the world go by let everybody fend for themselves because I'm good this is not the kind of thinking that we want to cultivate here at Restore. We don't think that drifting along in our spiritual life is a very good way of going about impacting the community. We don't think that living in a place of compromise and saying, well, I've done that and so now I don't need to do anything else. And if I have serious thoughts about what it means to follow Jesus, well... I can compromise a little bit here, I can compromise a little bit there, and yeah, I'm good. Living in the days of grace. We are living in the days of grace. It's a beautiful thing. But it doesn't mean we capitulate to drift and compromise. Last week we talked about Jesus is what God has to say. And this week, it wasn't clickbait if you saw it on social media. We're really gonna talk about hell and how to get there. Have you ever been told to go there? Has anyone ever looked at you and said, go to hell? 
Yeah, me too. And sometimes it came from a Christian brother who didn't say go to hell, but he said go to hell. That's like the worst of all things. If it is someone close to you, someone you know well. So how do we stay out of hell? How do we avoid hell? See, we don't like to talk about this. I literally have never preached a single sermon on hell like I'm preaching today. And there's good reason for it because I'm all anxious and bothered and I have multiple people in the room right now that I have said, you must pray. You must pray me through this next 20 minutes or so, if you're lucky. You gotta pray. Because the spiritual opposition to a, a message like this is strong. The enemy does not want us to hear anything other than that we are a people suitable for hell. That's the message of the enemy. What I know about humanity is that most of us are too far from Jesus and too close to hell. This is where we land. Too far from Jesus and too close to hell. This week, Demi Lovato released a new album. I wouldn't encourage you to go look at it or listen to it. Here's the thing. Demi Lovato uh, grew up in, has a Christian background. Her new album is filled, almost every song is filled with verbiage that is, that is Christian-based. She uses words that are straight from the scriptures, but it is a twisted version it is an obscene, awful. Now, everybody's going to go listen to it. I know. <laughs> Let me just tell you that just because you speak the name of Jesus and just because you align yourself with a certain way of thinking and just because your songs are littered with Christianese has nothing to do with the way that God sees you has nothing to do with the purity of your heart. It has nothing to do with your eternal location where you will reside in the afterlife. This week, I don't know why God does stuff in my life the week that I'm talking about something like this, but, but yeah, I do know why. I do know why, because I had a very, I had several very humbling experiences this week. Because, you know, you know, sometimes we, when, we, when we're a Christian, like we're, we think we're all that, and we've got all that, and we've got all the answers, and so just come to us, we'll tell you how to live your life. Yeah, that's real popular among those people that don't yet know Jesus, when we become the know-it-alls. Well, You've heard me talk about Paul before. He's, the, he's one of the local, like, homeless guys. And he looks like John the Baptist in my mind. Like, he's all disheveled, and I always picture John the Baptist as having hair that are just everywhere, right? They're just crazy. And 
Well, here comes Paul again. I'm in a meeting. I'm at the electric brew. I'm having a nice cup of coffee. And I'm meeting with Jordan, our connections pastor. And here comes Paul. He stands there. Jordan's there. I'm here. Paul's right here. Jordan can't see him, but I can see him. He's standing right there, politely standing there. Hey, Paul, what's up? Go away. That's where I was, right? <laughs> Paul says, hey, uh, you know, I need $5. I, I just got to go see my family again, and, and, and I, I don't I have the $5. I'm talking like that because that's the way Paul talks. Yeah, Paul, I don't have cash. You know, I, I'm sorry. And Paul walks away. As soon as I said, I don't have cash, my wallet burned in my, in my pocket. I didn't have much cash, but as soon as I said it, I had cash, and I knew I had cash. But I sent him on his way with no cash because Paul has begged from me before, and I have given him cash before. And so righteous Gene said, ain't getting no more of my money. Jesus calls us to a better way. Brenda sees somebody at the Coles uh, entryway. They're usually there with a sign that says, you know, whatever they need. And she's made a practice of rolling down her window, giving them cash. Her perspective is, I don't care what they do with it. I just know that I'm called to help them. And so I'm gonna give it to them. It's not her responsibility anymore, but if she feels compelled to give, that's what she does. On Wednesday, sitting at a, a local establishment, up at the bar is a young man wearing a leather vest with all kinds of obscenities on the back of it. Very denigrating to the female gender. I'm sitting there. I'm seeing this. I'm getting more and more worked up. I'm gonna throw him out myself. I thought better of it. I probably could have taken him. He wasn't that big, but... <laughs> Instead, I went and found the owner of the establishment. I said, hey, Jesse, can you maybe do something about the guy at the counter? He's sitting at the bar there. Can you do something about him? Uh, no, no, I'm sorry. I know I feel you, but I can't do anything. Okay, all right. All right, I'll go with that. I sit back down again. Mind you, the guy is sitting by himself. No one's sitting beside him. The bartender can barely look at him because she finds him to be despicable as well. He 
You know what I could have done? I could have walked up to him. I could have sat down at the bar. I could have ordered a beer and said, hey, tell me your story. Tell me how you're doing. What's going on in your life? Because you know what? He's got a story. But instead, I walked out of that place, lost the opportunity in that moment at least. I'm praying and I'm hoping that someday, sometime soon, I'll be able to interact with him to kind of get his story to speak a little hope into his life because that's what I didn't do. And that's what no one did. He had walls up. He had a perimeter that was staked out. No one would even sit close to him. He was objectionable to those in the room. How much objecting are you doing this morning already? What kind of walls do you have up? How thick are those walls? And what will it take to get those walls taken down? I've done a lot of funerals in my day. Um, and um, I've done a variety of uh, situations that I've had to contend with. One of those was someone was uh, murdered. I did a funeral for one that, uh, person that was murdered. I did a funeral for uh, someone that committed suicide. I uh, did a sermon for someone that was driving under the influence and was killed. I've uh, had lots of questions about what happens in the afterlife. What happens the moment we die? And what, where's my son right now? Where is he at? One of my preacher friends had a dad that was from a fairly fundamentalist background and he looked at his watch the day after, or the, a couple hours after his son died, and he said, well, my son is six hours in hell right now. We have, uh, we have clarity, don't we, about what hell is. We think we have clarity about what hell is and isn't. Hell is a four-letter word that carries a lot of freight. It's sort of this catch-all word that we use for however we imagine eternal punishment in the afterlife to be. There's a number of words in the scriptures, a couple words in the scriptures that, uh, that have been interpreted this way. So Sheol was used in the Old Testament. It is a word that means the realm of the dead. It was a Hebrew, it's a Hebrew word. Uh, Gehenna is... Uh, is a word that has been translated to hell. Gehenna is the Valley of Hinnom. It's south of Jerusalem. It is the location where child sacrifices were made to the, to the, uh, to the god Molech. And then later it became the city dump. It's like a garbage dump. It's a place where, see if these words are familiar, where the fires were never quenched and the maggots never died. It was a maggot-infested garbage dump. And Gehenna became the source of, again, the imagining of what hellish judgment would be like. Hades is another word. It's found in the New Testament. And it's simply a Greek word that speaks of the underworld from mythology. Again, it is the realm of the dead. Jesus didn't talk about the afterlife near as much as he talked about the literal hell of this life. 
Many of us, if we've been in church very long, we have done a lot of wrong thinking. Maybe we are still doing some wrong thinking about hell due to the way that we read the text of Scripture. We read into it what, it, what is really not there. We make assumptions. Several passages of Scripture in the New Testament that are often cited as proof of a specific sort of hell, even though much of what is there is actually, again, we have imagined what Jesus is saying rather than looking at the full text. So Matthew 25 talks about the sheep and the goats. It's a parable that Jesus told about how he, the separation happens between the sheep and the goats. It's a parable that he's told because of his confrontation with the Pharisees again. The Pharisees who believed and patterned their life to Deuteronomy in the Old Testament, which talks a lot about, about when we, it's kind of almost like they had this uh, health and wealth spiritual uh, understanding about what it means to follow the laws of God. Well, if you follow the laws of God, if you, um, if you cross every T and dot every I, you will, uh, experience, um, you will experience good health you will experience financial uh, blessing. And they loved their money. And they looked at anyone that didn't have good health as somebody that was being punished by God. And so when, when Jesus points to, you are more concerned about the outside. You want to clean the cup on the outside instead of looking at the inside and seeing all the crud that's inside that cup. This is what he was pointing to with the Pharisees, you think wrongly about this thing of following the way of God. In Luke 16, Jesus is again trying to bring correction to the Pharisees, to the leading religious people of the day. And he tells the story of the rich man and Lazarus. So before I read this, and I don't have it on the screen, I just want you to listen to this story, maybe with fresh eyes and ears. So Luke chapter 16 gives us the story, and it is a Jewish folktale. There were seven different versions of this in the rabbinic writings. So I'll read the first part, and then I'm going to pause. Jesus said, there was a certain rich man who was splendidly clothed in purple and fine linen and who lived each day in luxury. At his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus who was covered with sores. As Lazarus lay there longing for scraps from the rich man's table, the dogs would come and lick his open sores. Finally, the poor man died and was carried by the angels to be with Abraham. The rich man also died and was buried and his soul went to the place of the dead. There in torment, he saw Abraham in the far distance with Lazarus at his side. The rich man shouted, Father Abraham, have some pity. Send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. I am in anguish in these flames. But Abraham said to him, son, remember that during your lifetime, you had everything you wanted and Lazarus had nothing. So now he is here being comforted and you are in anguish. And besides, there's a great chasm separating us. No one can cross over to you from the here and no one can cross over to us from there. That's the traditional reading. That's tr the traditional story. Jesus adds this twist on the end. 
because he wanted to drive home a point for the Pharisees, brings it right in to present day, and he says, then the rich man said, please, Father Abraham, at least send him to my father's home, for I have five brothers. The five brothers, as Jesus is talking about, here is the Pharisees. I have five brothers, and I want him to warn them so they don't end up in this place of torment. But Abraham said, Moses and the prophets have warned them. Your brothers can read what they wrote. The rich man replied, no, Father Abraham, but if someone is sent to them from the dead, then they will repent of their sins and turn to God. But Abraham said, if they won't listen to Moses and the prophets, they won't be persuaded even if someone rises from the dead. Jesus is speaking as he is Father Abraham. Jesus rose from the dead. You and I have an option here. We get to decide if we're going to need additional extraordinary measures to understand and believe that Jesus is who he says he is or if we will continue down the road that we're on and need more proof. Give me more proof. It's what many of us are asking for. See, the original point of this story was, was uh, that the great reversal is coming. Jesus says, I affirm the great reversal. I am the great reversal. I am bringing the upside down kingdom. Those who are great will have to take back a back seat to those that have suffered in this life. The basic teaching of Jesus on hell is to follow the path of the rich man thinking only of yourself and you'll get there. He comes, Jesus comes, announcing a new kind of kingdom. A kingdom that says, repent of your sins, turn to God for the kingdom of heaven is near. The kingdom of heaven is the government of heaven. It is the government of God. It is the new kingdom of God. Jesus' entire ministry was his announcing of this new kind of government, this new way of living, the living, the living in a way that, that includes radical hospitality. It includes welcoming sinners. It is compassionate healing of the sick. This is the new government that Jesus came to instate. He explained this. He embodied it. He embodied this life of now, this kingdom of now. In the book of Acts, Peter and Paul, they're preaching. And it's interesting because in the whole book of Acts, you'll find it very difficult to find a place where they are, um, they are preaching a gospel that is not about the kingdom of God here and now. They were not preaching a gospel of how to get to heaven and avoid hell when you die. They really had very little, uh, uh, there was hardly any mention of the afterlife, but it was about the now life. They declared that the gospel was the audacious announcement that Jesus is Lord and the world is now to be reconfigured around his gracious rule. How do, we, how do we live into this? How do, what do we do now? And the, the answer is clear. The answer is clear. Jesus said it. The apostles said it. Repent 
and receive life. Repent and receive life. In Acts 4, verse 12, the apostles were preaching and they said, there is no salvation. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. What is required? What is required if we want to be saved, if we want to live a different way? What is required? It is complete surrender. It is laying down our artillery. You know the shots we take at other people? The shots we take at those that don't believe exactly like we do? It's called relinquishing our rights. It's called stepping in and saying, hey, Paul, why don't you sit down? And hey, what do you need? What's your story? Do you know that you're loved? Do you know that I love you? And you know that Jesus came for even you and even me. Okay, so can I escape hell by doing the right things? Not if it's for the wrong reasons. God is love. Anyone that loves is a child of God and knows God. When we live in love, we don't live in fear of judgment because we live like Jesus here and now. In John chapter five, these are the words of Jesus. He says, I tell you the truth, those who listen to my message and believe in God who sent me have eternal life. They will never be condemned for their sins. They've already passed from death into life. And I assure you that the time is coming. Indeed, it's here now. When the dead, are you dead this morning? Do you have life? Is life in you? When the dead will hear my voice, the voice of the Son of God, Son of God and those who listen will live. In verses 28 and 29, don't be so surprised, Jesus says. Indeed, the time is coming when all the dead in their graves. We read this and we're like, yeah, someday, someday Jesus is coming back and all the dead in Christ will rise. I believe that's true. How about right now? Are you dead in your grave? You're just walking around like a zombie? Not really alive? You're physically alive, spiritually dead? Where are you this morning? The dead in their graves will hear the voice of God's son and they will rise again. Those who have done good will rise to experience eternal life and those who have continued in evil will rise to experience judgment. You guys, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, there's, we find the golden rule. Jesus uh, speaks these words at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. He says, Matthew, in Matthew 7, he says, do to others whatever you would like them to do to you. This is the essence of all that is taught in the law and the prophets. Last week we said, Jesus is what God has to say. What God has to say is fulfilled through Jesus. The law and prophets are fulfilled through Jesus the essence of what Jesus came to do was to point us to a life that says, whatever I want others to do to me, it sounds so simple, doesn't it? Do unto others whatever you want them to do to you. How simple is that? And yet, that's where so many of us get stuck. 
In verse 13, Jesus continues. He says, you can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. When I was a kid, I saw this artist rendering of a dream this person had about the wide way and the narrow way. It was the most fearful, like you talk about putting the fear of God in you or the fear of, let's say the fear of hell, the fear of hell in me. That painting did it. I can see it in my mind's eye still. This scripture says you can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad and its gate is wide for the many who choose that way. But the gateway to life is very narrow and the road is very difficult and only a few ever find it. How do we get to hell? We follow the broad way of self-interest that exploits the weak. How do we get to life? We follow the narrow way of love for the weak and the marginalized. See, the narrow gate is not a sinner's prayer, but a life of love and mercy. The evangelical church has made it a thing you say and not a thing you do. We have to change our thinking around what it means to follow the way of Jesus. Of course we confess with our mouth, but saying a few words does not equal eternal life. Confess with your mouth, then act with your life. Now, you may wonder, does Gene think there's an afterlife hell? Of course I do. All that is evil and wicked resides there. But I don't find it necessary or helpful to make statements of certitude about a hell and who goes there. I think we should approach the subject with great humility and not pretend so much Knowledge, not to pretend to have so much knowledge about the mystery of death and what lies beyond its veil. Here's what I think I know. Here's what I think I know. I mean, we could say that hell is the love of God refused. Hell is the love of God refused. Hell is not God's hatred of sinners. God has a single disposition towards sinners, and that is love. You and I can be really grateful for that. Hell is not God's hatred. Rather, hell has something to do with refusing to receive and be transformed by the love of God. I actually think that many of us so-called Christians who would deem anyone not just like us in thought and belief to be headed there should reconsider our assumptions before we find ourselves in the very pit that we have tried so hard to avoid. If your theology says, okay, I'm going to avoid hell by being a church member, by looking right, by smelling right, by saying the right words in the right order and to do enough Hail Marys, and then I'm good. You've got your ticket to heaven and your escape card from hell. This is a distortion of religion rather than relationship. Listen, wrong theology has distorted our thinking and understanding of what following Jesus means. So if you're tempted this morning to think that salvation by grace means I don't need to do anything to achieve eternal life because we live in the days of grace and how I live really doesn't matter because in the end, God saves all. This is cheap grace 
It is an aberration of the beautiful grace of Jesus that was brought, bought with a steep cost. His life for ours. His blood shed for our redemption. Helen, how to get there? You and I get to choose. We choose either the narrow way or the broad way. The way of life or the way of destruction. So get perspective this morning. Get perspective on your life. Choose the narrow way. Put your trust in Jesus. Because this is the message we heard from Jesus and now declare to you, God is light and there is no darkness in him at all. So we are lying if we say we have fellowship with God, but go on living in spiritual darkness. We are not practicing the truth. This is found in 1 John 1. I'm going to read verse 6 again. So we are lying if we say we have fellowship with God, but go on living in spiritual darkness. We are not practicing the truth. But, but, if we are living in the light as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. If we believe correctly, our focus will lead us to a life of love, a life of joy, a life of peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This is the narrow way of loving God and neighbor that leads to life. Where do you find yourself this morning? Would you stand with me? I want to be really, really clear. Some of us have lived in deception. And this is not, look, I have sat through more than my share of fear, uh, guilt, fear, and shame when it came to this subject. So that is not what I'm preaching this morning. I don't want you to hear me say any of that. What I want to say is that God is love. And anyone who leans into relationship with Jesus will find that love. If you lack self-control this morning, and I know some of you do, if you lack a love for fellow man, and I know some of us do, if you have any lack at all in your life, you choose. You choose. Some of us have made assumptions about our life. We're living the good life here now. God must be blessing us right now. We have not suffered. Hmm. God must be favoring us right now. I haven't had cancer, so I guess I'm good. I haven't gotten laid off. I haven't got fired. I still have a great job. You know, you're thinking just like the Pharisees. The truth is, 
God comes alongside us and says, come along. This is life. I'm not gonna give you, I'm not gonna give you a straight road all the time. Sometimes that road is crooked, it is difficult, it is hard to navigate. And sometimes we get lost along the way. And that's where God comes along. He redeems every situation. Do you know that there are so many things that happen in our lives here on earth that feel broken and busted up? And they are broken and busted up. I agree with that. But what I love is that when we are aligned with Almighty God, when we have committed our lives to Jesus, we don't have to go it alone. We have a Redeemer who has come to save, restore, and transform if we let Him. He doesn't, he doesn't put Himself on us. He comes to those that welcome Him. And so this morning, I'm giving a clear, as clear a call as I've ever given if you are not following Jesus, or if you simply have gotten down a wrong road, and you need to step up, and you need to say, I'm going to choose Jesus today. Put a mark on it like I am doing this. Because when you do this, you change the trajectory of your entire life. You change the trajectory of the families that follow you. If you choose not to, you will also change their trajectory straight toward hell. Hellish living here will determine the outcome. So let me just pray for us. If you've never made a commitment to Jesus and this morning is the time that you want to say, I am going to follow Jesus from this day forward, I wanna give that invitation and if you're saying this morning that I've been following him for a while, but I've taken a detour, and my life is not what it is, what I'm called to be. I know I'm not living the way I'm called to be living. I have subscribed to a wrong way of thinking, and I'm gonna choose the, broad, the narrow way. I'm gonna get off the broad way, and I'm gonna get off onto the narrow way. Either one of those things apply to your life. Just hold your hand up high, not because I need your affirmation for what I've just said, but because I want to pray specifically for you. And there are people in this room, prayer team come up front as well. Um, there are people in this room that are going to be praying specifically for you. So if you're changing trajectory this morning or you're saying yes to the, for the first time to Jesus, I just need to pop your hand up real quick. Pop them up quickly. Pop them up quickly. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for those that have responded in this moment. I pray, Father, that they would feel a real sense of urgency in their life to begin right now to, change, to chart a different course. God, I pray for each person in this space this morning who is saying yes for the very first time, that you would become so real in their lives that they will never be able to step back and say anything other than, thank you, God, for the change you brought in my life. 
For those that are saying, I am going to be a different person. I've said yes to Jesus, but I'm walking a different way. God strengthened them for the days ahead. The enemy is strong, but you are stronger. The enemy is out to diminish us. You are here to elevate us. You are here to bring us into right standing with you. And we're so grateful for that. Strengthen us for the days ahead. May we be the people of God that not only do we speak with our lips, we act with our lives. Thank you for all you're doing. Uh, God, we're so grateful. Grateful for your love and grace in our lives. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. Please rate and review us on Spotify and iTunes and join us again for next week's podcast. We love you and pray blessing and peace over you and your family.